You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Exodus 21 to 21. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in the towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and mother so that they may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Thank you, Robin Ann. I'm going to ask Peter and Amy to hand out um, some sheets that I will talk about in a little bit. The Ten Commandments were ahead of its time. The Ten Commandments begin a long section in the Old Testament on law, and yet it was very 2023 of them to start with the top ten list. Um, The original top ten list. Um, which, 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 of course, like starts every article that we read today, a top ten list. The Ten Commandments did it first. Um, let's pray. God, may your word be our rule and your spirit our teacher and the glory of Christ our only concern. Amen. Amen. We're going to spend some time in the Ten Commandments. As Tony mentioned earlier, probably, you know, if you would just ask someone, name something that's in the Bible, The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are in the Bible. Ubiquitous. Very familiar with the Ten Commandments. 
so familiar that I was able to open up ChatGBT. It didn't write my sermon for me. It hasn't done that yet. But I was able to open up ChatGBT, which is an artificial intelligence software that can create all sorts of crazy content for you. I was able to punch in, um, what are the Ten Commandments of Living in Mossman? You want to see them? Yeah, they're interesting. These do not express the view of Harborside or any of its affiliates. We love Mossman, and in Australia, when you love something, you give it a hard time, I've been told. So that's the spirit in which we're, we're, we're reading these. I don't know. Maybe there's some truth in them. You tell me. I won't be the judge. I've lived here for a year. The top 10 commandments of living in Mossman. Thou shalt not wear unbranded attire. And then it writes, designer labels are your holy vestments. Thou must flaunt thy wealth through conspicuous consumption. All right. Thou shalt not mingle with non-beachgoers. The beach is your sanctuary. You must spend weekends bronzing and sipping champagne by the sea. They wrote all of that. Thou shalt not drive anything less than a luxury car. A humble sedan simply won't do. A high-end European automobile is your chariot of choice. Thou shalt not dine without a water view. Every meal must be accompanied by a breathtaking waterfront panorama, for anything less, less is an abomination. Thou shalt not discuss property prices with the plebs. Property prices are not just conversation top topics. They're status symbols. Flaunt your real estate prowess discreetly. Flaunt discreetly. That's, I think that's good. Um, thou shalt not visit the western suburbs. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. The western horizon. It says the western horizon is a dark abyss. Never venture beyond the glittering confines of Mossman. It's simply not worth it. All right. Thou shalt wear active wear, especially if inactive. <laughs> Always with the active wear. And then lastly, thou shalt holiday in Nusa, Aspen, or Baurel. I think that's it. There you go. So those are the Ten Commandments of living in Mossman, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some, maybe some truth there. All right, so we're going to talk about what are the Ten Commandments and what aren't they. Then we're going to look at them, and that's why I've given you that sheet. Um, I'm going to run out of time. We're not going to be able to look through all of them. I'm going to have to move along quickly. And then we're going to close by looking at what Jesus, how Jesus interacts with the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments and what aren't they? They are not the Ten Conditions. Moses didn't march into Egypt to the Israelites in slavery and have, hand them two tablets of stone that said, here are the ten conditions. I'm going to check back on you in a year and see how you're going with these. And if you've done well enough, well, then God's going to be your God and he's going to lead you out of Egypt. They're not the ten conditions. God could have been a new version of Pharaoh, he could have made the Israelites' belonging depend on their performance, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't make our belonging depend on our performance. God acts. These are not the ten conditions. Israel's belonging to God isn't conditional on their behavior because they aren't going to hold these up so well. 
They will behave poorly and they will falter in their beliefs, but they will not cease to be God's people because these aren't the Ten Conditions. They're the Ten Commandments. And they begin by remembering what God has done. I am the Lord your God. Statement of fact. Not because of anything Israel's decided, but because of something God's decided. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That is what I have done for you. Out of the land of slavery. This is a statement of fact. They're not the Ten Conditions, but the Ten Commandments. What are they? They, uh, Tony mentioned Exodus 19. Two weeks ago, I preached on, on Exodus 19, which really sets up the Ten Commandments and the law that is to follow. I said that in, in Exodus 19, we get the image that's on the front of the Lego box. So Exodus 19, God has brought the people to Mount Sinai and he says, you're my treasured possession. You're my holy nation. You're a kingdom of priests. And through you, the world is going to know that I am God that I'm good, that I'm holy, that I'm the creator. But you are my treasured possession, my holy nation, my kingdom of priests. And this beautiful and expansive image is, is the scene on the Lego box. You look at the Lego box, right? You know, the Lego boxes have these intricate, elaborate images on the front that are, of course, like, I, I got to have that Lego box. They're beautiful. They have all this setting in it. And, and, and as you're building the Lego box, you're sort of constantly referring to the image, or at least you should be. The Ten Commandments are going to give us some instruction on how it is that we and how the people of God can look like what's on the Lego box. But don't forget the point. Don't forget the purpose. Exodus 19, you're my covenant people. You're my treasured possession. You're my kingdom of priests. And here's how, it's, and here's how you're going to do that. And so God gives them the Ten Commandments and the law to help shape them into a people. Before we dive in to this, to this list of commandments, um, It's important to remember, so Israel's never done this before, right? Israel's never been a nation before. They've got no structure. They've got no social structure, no law, really no guidance. There's not something they're falling back onto. It's like, okay, we'll go back to the way things were before we were in slavery. There's no before, right? So they've been in slavery for centuries, and all they've known is Egyptian law, Egyptian gods, and Pharaoh's right hand. That's all they've known. Um, And so these commandments... Are, are, you know, really going to reshape their community and are going to be very difficult for them to be faithful to. So I've got this, this page in front of you. And at the top, there's three, there's three things. We're not going to fill in all these boxes, um, but I just think it's a helpful way to think about this. So commission, omission, honor. I was thinking this week, what are some ways we violate these commandments? And sometimes we, 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 may, we, we commit sins of commission, things we do. So for example, do not murder. A sin of commission, of course, would be actively killing someone. That would be a sin of commission. That would be something you do. I hope that you haven't done that. I hope that you aren't going to do that this week. Um, it happens, so listen. Uh, yeah, anyways, I hope you don't do that. But um, rather than just tick that box, hey, I'm good, um, we also need to think a little bit more deeply. What are some sins of omission? So we, 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 we commit sins of commission, forgive me for what I've done, and also forgive me for what I haven't done. Was there an opportunity to save life that I missed this week? Was there an opportunity to defend life that I, that I failed this week? That's a sin of omission. So sins of commission, things we've committed and things we've 
omitted, that we've violated these laws, and then honor, just thinking, and I, I spelled it the American way, apologies, um, honor, you know, maybe there are a couple of these this week that you want to think about, how can I honor this command more deeply this week? So that's what those boxes are for. Use them if it's helpful. Don't use them if it's not. Um, let's, let's, let's get into these. So you shall have no other gods before me. Um, I mean, this is, this is the big one. It seems a bit obvious to us, but this command immediately made Israel unique. Remember, they've been living in Egypt, and Egypt, along with every other civilization that they will encounter, has a pantheon of gods. And you worship one god to accomplish this, and you worship another god to accomplish something else, and Israel is entirely unique in this first command. You shall have no other gods before me. Other translations might say, besides me. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of assumed that there are other gods that exist. This isn't a philosophical command trying to make an argument for monotheism. That's going to come later in the Old Testament. Here, I think there's a deeper wisdom that, that says, listen, there are other gods that are going to compete for your worship, that are going to compete for your allegiance. You're going to interact with other nations that, that have other gods. Yahweh will not share Israel with anyone. Yahweh will not be God alongside another God. God has not revealed himself to be one among many. You shall have no gods before me. And this seems like one that Israel should be able to get right. I mean, it's the thing for Israel. But of course they don't. One of the most, you know, throughout the Old Testament, Baal is one of the Canaanite gods that Israel is constantly finding attractive and beginning to mix a little bit of their worship of Yahweh with their worship of Baal. And is it really so bad if we start to worship Baal a little bit or at least use their temples? Or there's this wonderful scene where Elijah, the prophet, is one of only a few remaining Israelites that's faithful to Yahweh alone. And there's this competition that's about to happen, and Elijah goes before the people and says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Make your choice. Yahweh won't be divided, and he won't share your worship and allegiance with someone else. Now, I've never met someone who is worshiping Baal, uh, but of course, that's not the only God vying for our worship and allegiance and attention. Maybe it's the market conditions that we check first in the morning. Maybe it's material wealth that has become the primary driver of the decisions that we make. Maybe it's fear or security that is our most fundamental God. Who are the gods that we serve? What would a sin of omission look like? Perhaps neglecting to acknowledge God. And I was thinking this week in this, what would it look like for me to honor this commandment? This question, um, if Elijah were to come to you today and say, how long will you waver between two opinions? What would he be talking about to you? If Elijah came to you and said, how long are you going to waffle between two things? Yahweh's God, serve him. If money's God, serve money. Make your choice. God won't share his worship or allegiance. All right, next one. Let's move to the next one. This one's a little bit longer. You shall not make for yourself 
an image or an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, earth beneath, waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children of the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commandments. God will not be God alongside of other gods, nor does he desire for wood and stone to hold his place. And this is another practice that, you know, I, I doubt any of you have a, you know, bronze statue that serves as Yahweh for you at home. Um, if you do, you shouldn't. Um, God does not want to be made into stone or wood or bronze or copper or gold um, and worshipped in that form. And this is another practice that would have been uh, so commonplace that it just would have been the, the default assumption for Israel. And I'm not going to spend too much time here because next week we're going to be in Exodus 32 and they are going to commit this very sin of like days after they've been told not to. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they build the golden calf. What is it for us? What's a contemporary version of this? What things I was thinking about, what things do we um, elevate to the status of God that are not actually God? I was thinking, this is, it, it's tough to find a direct contemporary analogy to this one. Um, but I was thinking about in, in our church growing up, my parents were pastors and the denomination was moving from King James Bibles to NIV Bibles. And boy, was the King James Bible really, really close to God to some people. And a lot of people left the church because the denomination was making the shift in translation. I'm not sure that's like a direct comparison to what Israel uh, is wrestling here with, but I was thinking about, man, are there, are there issues that have been elevated for me that, that have become God? And I can't really see beyond them to see what God might be doing because I, my, my vision just gets clouded by something that, that shouldn't be God. I don't know. Um, maybe to honor this is just to have an awareness of what things I'm tempted to elevate to a place of worship that should not be in the place of, of God, of Yahweh. The next one is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What is meant here? What is intended in this commandment? Like several of the commandments, it's not entirely clear. It's not entirely clear what exactly is meant by this commandment. I wish we could get a little bit more from the author here, from Moses here, on, on, or from God on what this commandment means. And the lack of clarity is part of the reason why the name Yahweh, yod Hey vav Hey, the sacred name given to Moses, is not used at all in speech or writing. Because they weren't sure exactly what God meant, and they were not going to misuse it. And so they didn't use it. If you can't use it, you can't misuse it. Um, and so that's why in our Bibles, the Lord is spoken there, or the Hebrew word Hashem, the name, would sometimes be used instead of the actual name. So, so likely the, the, the name Yahweh is in, in mind here. Um, you know, I think certainly appropriate to think about flippant and profane ways that the name of God is used. Um, it's really, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad that the name of God and the name of Jesus is so much more often used as a curse, as profanity than it is, you know, in its rightful way. Um, and that's certainly addressed here um, in this command. I was thinking also sins of commission, um, 
how do we break, how do we violate this command? I think, I think one of the most grievous ways to me that we violate this command is when the church misrepresents the name of God. And in particular, when people who bear the name of Jesus, I'm thinking of clergy, pastors in particular, who bear the name of Christ to the world, abuse it by their behavior, their treatment of others. Um, it's, it's, it's a heavy, Christians, little Christ. That's, Christians mean little Christ. And when we go out in the world and we interact with people and, and we misrepresent the name of God, I think that's a violation of this command to misuse the name of God. And I'm, I'm, I was very aware of that when I played basketball in, in Chicago a lot. And the guys knew I was a pastor. And most of the time, I think I did pretty well. But every now and then, they'd be like, oh, reverend, easy. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, like we, sort of carrying, carrying the name of Jesus into the world is a serious thing. Take it seriously, you know. Uh, if people know you're a Christian at work, that, that will reflect on Jesus, right? Um, this is, uh, this, you know, it's, uh, it feels kind of heavy, but I, I just, in people's lived experiences, right, their interactions with people who bear the name of Christ is more important than, I think, any influence on them. So, listen, what does it mean? I was thinking of, for honoring this, a prayer of examine at night, taking stock of your day. Did I bear the name of Jesus well? Did I honor the name of Jesus by the way I lived today? Um, did I, did Jesus' reputation, you know, he, is, he doesn't need us to defend his reputation, but did people think well of Jesus, you know, just by the way they interacted with me today? Um, next one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is the longest one given. It goes on to say the Sabbath is not just for you, for your son, your daughter, your, your servants, your animals. Um, how do we respect the Sabbath? We remember it. The command is to remember. Isn't that interesting? Remember the Sabbath. How do we remember it? By practicing it. By keeping it holy. By, we practice the Sabbath and we, when we do that, we remember who our creator is. This is, uh, the command pulls us back into Genesis, reminds us that God created in six days, rested on the seventh. Israel is to be a new creation, a recreation of what we saw in the Garden of Eden. And so, um, yeah, so they're commanded to practice what was reality in the Garden. This, this um, it's interesting, this command becomes a bit of a thermometer for Israel's faithfulness. When they're doing really well, they're practicing Sabbath. And when things start to fall and their leadership starts to weaken, Sabbath goes right away. Uh, and so it's a bit of a thermometer for how Israel's going in their faithfulness to God. Um, do you practice Sabbath? I mean, um, it, I, you know, I think it can look a lot of different ways um, in the world today. Um, but when we come to these Ten Commandments and I don't murder, I don't steal, yeah, do you practice Sabbath? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Israel sort of loses it when um, their worshiping life becomes subordinate to their commercial life. How often does our worshiping life take the back seat to our commercial life? I mean, I think like collectively it does constantly, sort of when you just like zoom out and look at the, the culture we live in, just the society we live in, and cash is king and commerce is king and everything sort of bows to e economy, right? Um, is our worshiping life subordinate to our commercial life? Or are we able to practice Sabbath? 
A sin of commission, of course, working ourselves tirelessly out of fear that God won't provide, that there won't be enough. So much easier to be busy than it is to be not busy. It's just become synonymous with good. How are things? Busy? Yeah, good. Yeah, busy. Good. Um, A sin of omission, not practicing rest, not remembering where our provision comes from. We've left Sabbath unpracticed. How can our lives reflect the balance in creation of work and rest? It's good. I think just a good question to think about. Um, let's move now to the second six. I'm going to move much quicker through these next six. Um, there's often a distinction made. Oh, we're doing all right. Um, a distinction made between the first four and the last six. Sometimes that's helpful. It's helpful for remembering them. The first four really deal with Yahweh specifically. The next six are more interpersonal. They're social. They're how you deal with your neighbor. I don't think that distinction's helpful um, personally. And uh, when Jesus is asked which command is, is the most important, uh, he says, um, you know, teacher, which, which, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus' response to this man asking about the commandments solders together love of God and love of neighbor in such a way that we see that to love God is to love neighbor. And to love neighbor is to love God. So if you're in a spot where you're not sure what the right thing is to do, is this a sin? Is this not a sin? Is this violating the Ten Commandments? How does it interact with your neighbor? Is it an act of love of neighbor? Then it's an act of love of God. But if what you're doing is not an act of love of neighbor, then it's not an act of love of God. I think, did I skip one? I'm missing one here. The next one, unintentional mom, is honor your father and mother. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. Watching online. Good to see you. Um, Honor your father and mother is the next one. Did, Did I get them out of order, Pete, or did I just forget it? I just forgot it. <laughs> nothing, unco- nothing subconscious happening there, I'm sure. <laughs> Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is, is giving to. These next six, we really see God giving Israel structure to be a nation. The social fabric that you need to be a nation that's a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the relationship between children and parents is just fundamental. And it, it's, it's got to be right. It's got to get right. These are core relationships that are addressed here. A sin of commission, Exodus 21, you know, is anyone who attacks or curses their father or mother shall be put to death. So you can text your kids that if you're, if you're keen to do that right now. Don't do that. Um, yeah, you know, parent, parental relationships are so very complicated. They're more complicated today than ever, I think. Um, the Australia Institute for Family Affairs um, says that one in six uh, older Australians suffer abuse, either psychological or financial or physical abuse. Um, and I think this, this commandment has a word to speak to us about how we treat those who have gone before us, how we treat those who have made us who we are. Um, and I, you know, what an important thing to think about. How can we honor that command this week? How can, we, how can we respect those who have gone before us? This is an you know, integral part of creating what it looks like to be the kingdom of priests and the holy nation. The vulnerable, throughout the, the Old Testament law, the vulnerable are taken care of. Um, and 
you know, honor your father and mother, the social fabric, absolutely, but also caring for those who have gone before us. Um, really important. The next one is you shall not murder. The word for murder here is rasa, um, which is really murder committed out of anger. Um, and so Christians reflecting on this have expanded on it um, based on what Jesus says about it. When Jesus addresses this in the New Testament, he says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister has, has already committed murder, murder in their hearts. And so as Christians have reflected on it, they've said, yeah, a sin of commission here doesn't just mean killing someone. A sin of commission means harboring anger in your heart towards someone. Is there someone that you're harboring anger towards, vitriol, that you don't want the best for? How can we advocate for the flourishing of people around us and reject violence in all its forms? The next one is you shall commit adultery. Um, yeah, we should, this, we should just do a sermon series on all this, eh? Um, gosh, so much to be said here. Um, yeah, if you read in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, how this is explored, um, it's, 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 it's a little bit patriarchal. It's very patriarchal. And, and it's committed only when a woman who's married has sex with a, a man outside of marriage, um, which, is, which is, of course, why is that? If a man has sex with a woman who's unmarried, he marries her. And, and, and he come, she comes into the house. And so it, it becomes, you know... Um, a polygamous marriage, which was pretty common early on in the Old Testament and eventually fades out in the Old Testament. But what's going on here? Um, this unequal treatment of women. In the Old Testament law, we see provisions made for women that, of course, do not measure up to the modern expectations of equality that we have in the world today. This was written 3,000 plus years ago. Yet for ancient civilizations, even the outdated laws of the Old Testament defend women relative to many civilizations of the time that Israel would have interacted with. And what we can say with confidence is this, that in the fulfillment of the law in Jesus, we see a shift in the treatment of women that confounded Jew and Gentile alike, specifically on adultery. Jesus redefines it. He says, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, any man who looks at a woman lustfully has broken this command. And so Jesus places the onus of adultery instead of on the woman, back on the man who looks at a woman with lust. And in Jesus' reframing, men are held accountable in new ways. And Jesus' own ministry saw women financing ministries and serving as apostles and bearing witness to the resurrected Christ. And this, he makes the point of multiple times, is not the rejection of this law, but its fulfillment. What does it look like for us? Faithfulness in our marriages, uh, faithfulness in our relationships with people of the opposite sex, all of that. You shall not steal. I don't steal. What about taking more than we need in a world where there's not enough for everyone? When we take more than we need, we violate this command. In, in, in the Old Testament, it's going to talk about excessive interest on things, right? Getting things by deceptive means. Don't take more than you need. Be generous. Be honest. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This one we, we say do not lie is sort of the, what we would say, but it's really about 
making sure that Israel has a trustworthy judicial system because everything depended on, on, on testimony and, and the death penalty was pretty, pretty common. And so you cannot bear false witness against your neighbor. And if you do, you bear the punishment that you testified about. So if you say someone murdered and it turns out they didn't, the, the punishment for murder comes back on you because they needed to establish you know, a just justice system. Um, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Full stop. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's the first sentence of this one. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Yeah. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, male and female servant, his ox or his donkey, his, his means of production, his wealth. You shall not covet your neighbor's wealth. Of the Ten Commandments, this is the only command that happens in the mind and the heart. It doesn't mean, it's not don't go take your neighbor's house. It's don't desire it. Don't long for what you don't have. We break this command when we look and envy the bigger house with the better view. How do we honor this? By practicing gratitude, by getting off the wheel of always needing something bigger and better and more. Gosh, it's hard to get off that wheel. It's our whole lives. It's the water we swim in. What does it look like? We practice gratitude, be grateful for what we have. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Okay, which ones? He inquired. And Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, complete, full, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. The rich young man just wants a list. A list can be comforting, can't it? Just tell me what boxes to tick. And in that regard, we're much more comfortable with the Pharisees than we are with Jesus because they got a nice long list of boxes to tick. I'll tell you what's right, what's wrong. But Jesus' word to this man, come follow me, is at first bad news for him. It is a word of judgment on all his lists and all the goodness he thinks he's accumulated, which certainly has him at the top of the class. This man has it all figured out. He's got his lists, his commands. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay? Come follow me. And all you'll have to do is give up everything. I began with that funny list of commandments about Mossman. They're silly, hopefully a little bit hyperbolic, but they ring with truth. What must I do to have life without end? Every place has its own list can enter in any city into ChatGPT. Chicago, I lived in Washington, D.C. That city has its own list. 
You start a new job and there's a list of things you've got to do to belong, to fit in. You start high school. High school has conditions. Conditions for belonging. Wear the right clothes, listen to the right kind of music, repeat the right lines. Every place has a list that you must tick off in order to fit in. And it can be comforting to tick those boxes. Like the rich young man, just tell me what boxes to tick. But no matter what, eventually, you won't tick enough of them. Eventually, you'll be found out. And when we've given up on our lists and when we finally fail to meet the conditions of this world and we're ready to give up, when we've exhausted ourselves trying to fit in and belong by ticking all the boxes, at the end of those lists, the Father is waiting and his love hasn't run out and his invitation is new every morning. Come follow me. That's the invitation of the Ten Commandments. Come follow me. Here's life. Come follow me. The Ten Commandments begin to peel back the curtain on what it is that makes for a truly flourishing life. And they help Israel see the light of God and understand how it is that they can live together in a way that others might see the light as well. And what the Ten Commandments peel back, Jesus wrenches open. Jesus throws open the curtain so that a flood of light that quenches all darkness pours forth. And Jesus ends his interaction with this rich young man, not with a new command, but with this invitation, come. Follow me. That's been the invitation from the beginning. And it's the invitation at this table. We're going to come and take communion this morning right now. Um, And that's the invitation to come forward and to follow Jesus. And maybe you've never made the decision to follow Jesus before. And and this morning, coming forward, you want to come forward in faith and follow him. And maybe your first act in that process is coming forward to receive a piece of bread and, uh, and to drink from the cup. Um, and, and to receive the goodness of Jesus and to follow him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends at the table. And after the meal, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, take, eat all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you do this, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup and After giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, take, drink, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink of this, do so in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Loving God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts, We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves and we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, forgive us. Help us to love your words and to delight in following you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.